talking about? Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hi, my name is Adam Goods and welcome to The Goods Oil. Today on our show, I'm joined by Lee Hicken, National Technology Officer at Microsoft Australia. Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Now, Lee, it's hard to imagine a more exciting time in the world that we live in today. Has it always been this exciting, given you've been in the industry for a while now? <laughs> been in the industry for a while now, actually. You, doing this made me, uh, made me go and look that up. And it's 26 years I've been in IT for now, which honestly feels like a lifetime. And I guess in, in the context of IT, it kind of is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it's always exciting when you're doing something new or if you're learning something new. And I, that's what I've tried to do throughout my IT, IT career is to look for those opportunities to, to kind of push myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I probably look... I, Sometimes I feel like I've been a little bit lucky in that I've just always been able to position myself right at the start of, you know, like the major waves that we've seen in, 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 uh, in, IT, in IT over those last 20 odd years, whether that be sort of the, you know, the sort of the, the novel to active directory yeah. phase when we moved into a heavy focus on identity and directory and access control. Uh, I got into security at a time when security and web access management was a big thing. And then, of course, you know, then the journey took me into cloud IoT and AI. So look, yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's always been exciting, but I guess I've been lucky to be in an exciting place at the right time. Yeah, and and look, talking about your career, you've had an amazing career thus far. Can, can you take our listeners through your journey? So where did it all start for you? Uh, thanks for saying that. I mean, it, it's funny that you, you get a chance to look back on it when you have these kind of conversations. And yeah, look, in some ways, it, yeah, I guess it is. That's it's a it's very lucky. Um, I feel very lucky uh, that I've managed to find myself in the right time. Uh, you know, in the right place at the right time. And, and, and look, a certain amount of it is being just nerdy enough to want to kind of get into some of those things. So for me, Adam, uh, I'm, I'm old enough to say that it started for me back in the early 80s. Yep. Um, you know, I started playing around with computers when they were really a thing that that not everyone was looking at. And, and I guess I just found I had a penchant for, for what computers could offer. I, I really enjoyed the creativity. So I was started playing around with you know, early days, Commodore 64s, Commodore Pets, and, yeah. and kind of just getting used to the idea of computing at a point in time when nobody else was. Uh, but about mid-80s, I got a PC, and I, and I remember it distinctly, Adam. I was at, um, I think I was at school at the time, or just in college or something. And I remember getting this PC and starting to do some DOS programming, and, and just, it kind of unleashed this beast in me, that this idea that you could create things, yeah. and the computer would do exactly what you said, and you could kind of build on that. So I... I very early on, even before I started working, I was building DBase scripts and FoxPost scripts for your, yeah. for your older listeners. You remember those things? <laughs> um, and, and so I sort of got this passion for it. But uh, I guess my real career started in 93 when I joined IBM. Um, and back then, I joined IBM. I was in the UK at the time. Uh, and I was looking after mainframe systems. Um, so really early on, kind of got myself deep into, into kind of the historical side of computing. I was running MVS mainframes, DOS VSC systems. I was, I was writing COBOL and running JCL, job control language functions on mainframes. So like, it's just been, for me, that was, a, that was kind of a, an early start. And then IBM opened my eyes up to what was really happening in the industry. And again, you know, to my point earlier about timing, hmm. IBM were really getting heavily into systems management uh, and they had their own fleet of, uh, fleet of software to do that. And then they acquired Tivoli. Uh, if you remember Tivoli Software, it was a Corba-based yeah. um, 
uh, common object request broker model tool for software distribution, software management. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of an early precursor to kind of this, to, to what has become very clear, you know, a big market around device and system management. Yeah. So I took a job with Tivoli. I moved into the Tivoli business around uh, around '96, and and really got into consulting. So that was my early start, I guess, in a sort of professional career was to get into post sales consulting, helping customers build, deliver, and design solutions. So I actually ended up working uh, for Tivoli, but actually working for Reuters um, okay. in the UK, building out an entire Tivoli platform. And I was working on the software distribution side of things, so yep. Tivoli software distribution platform. Um, and yeah, this is a different time, a different place. You know, this is, we're almost not pre-internet, but we're kind of at that time yeah. where internet was not as, as, as prolific as, as it is. Yep. Um, so I learned, I learned to code, uh, I learned to code yeah. in Pascal. And, and so Tivoli was a springboard into this whole idea of uh, getting into, I guess, distributed systems, web-based systems. And I stayed with IBM until around 2000. And then I, my boss at the time, when I was living in Australia, I moved to Australia in about 96, 97. Mm. My boss at the time uh, was going to a startup and there was a company called ClearTrust, right. very, very small uh, web access control platform that was being built out of San Francisco. Mm. Kind of at the time, if you think about it, that was when Plumtree was around from yep. a, a portal side of things. SiteMinder were from, from Computer Associates was the big kind of web platform, uh, access control platform. Yep. And ClearTrust was a startup and, and we kind of went into the space. It's the first time I've ever done anything in the startup space. Mm. I've always been, I mean, you'll see if you look at my history, it's IBM, Microsoft, yep. uh, Amazon, it's big companies. Yeah. And so I jumped into this startup and it was really exciting, really changed my perspective on mm. what it means to, to sell. And, and we'll talk, maybe talk about this a bit more, but yeah. Selling because selling became less about the technology when you're in a startup and it became all about the people and how to influence and how to understand what people are, how people make decisions, yeah. you know, how, how do senior leaders make decisions. And that was a real learning for me. I spent a year and a half there and then our company got acquired by RSA Security, you know, the token people yep. and access management. And I moved into a pre-sales role and became an identity specialist coming from ClearTrust. I had the identity still. Yep. Uh, but again, you know, to that point around just perfect timing, this was at the point when identity and access control was a big issue as the mm. web was exploding, mm. people were building more and more services. And sort of at the background of this, I was seeing Microsoft with its SharePoint platform becoming this major player in the, uh, you know, in the portal web access sort of side of things. And I'd always had a bit of a bit of an admiration, a bit of a passion, a bit of a fanboy of Microsoft uh, yeah. back in those days. Yeah. Um, and so look at that, and that passion for Microsoft was really about, at that time, to be a bit brutal, was really about the size and its sheer impact. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the IT industry in the early 2000s, Microsoft was a force to be reckoned with, yep. and not always for good reasons, but, you know, that was the situation. Mm. So I took a job in 2005 at Microsoft, uh, and it really was a case of just getting into Microsoft. I was just really wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so I became a technology specialist for Windows and Active Directory. Yeah, right. Uh, and so Microsoft is one of these amazing places and, you know, I've spent a lot of time here now where it's such a big organization. There's so many places you can go that that journey inside of Microsoft for the next 11, 12 years took me through from uh, being security specialist into being a antivirus and firewall and perimeter protection specialist. I was yeah. an ISA server uh, technical specialist. And then I got a lucky break. I, Microsoft was moving into this online service. We had for those that remember it, Microsoft Live Meeting that we acquired, yep. and then we acquired Exchange Hosted Services, and we started moving Exchange to be an Exchange Hosted platform. That was the early days, yeah. and that was a product called BPOS, yep. uh, Business Productivity Online, which ultimately became Office 365 and the juggernaut that that is. Yeah. But I was lucky. I got into that, and I, I took on a, 
a specialist role in that. And so I really, I was in the cloud doing cloud platform stuff around the sort of 2007, 2008 mark. So relatively early in that, in that cloud, you know, if you look at the cloud timeline. Yeah. Um, and it was a fantastic opportunity, big journey. I, I learned a lot. I got into cloud and then I got into Azure and I got mm. kind of broadly into the big cloud picture. Mm. But then in 2015, I got an opportunity. I remember knocking the door from Amazon. Um, <laughs> and it was an opportunity to move to Singapore and try something different, build a business. And so uh, for good reasons or fail, I, uh, I, I jumped ship. Uh, yeah. Went out from Amazon, spent two years in Amazon in Singapore. Uh, yeah. A great place, great, great. I was building out their IoT business for Asia Pack. Okay. Uh, and it was my first opportunity to be a leader and to kind of take a business on. Yeah. So yeah, I'd gone from sort of 15, 20 years ago being a consultant to being pre-sales to being yeah. a seller to now being a business leader and yeah. running something for a region. Uh, but ultimately, I was drawn back to Microsoft uh, yeah. for, for many and very reasons that we could probably spend hours <laughs> talking about. But I came back to Microsoft in 2018, yep. got the opportunity to become the, the chief national technology officer here at Microsoft. Yep. And I, I couldn't be happier. It's just like you said, I feel certainly very lucky. And it's certainly yep. amazing to me now to look back and where I started to where I am now. Yeah, great. Amazing. So it sounds like you're back home. <laughs> mm. Look, absolutely, and that's a funny. It's funny you use that term when I, um, you know, when I come back to people and when I ask, you know, people talk to me about my journey, and I'm, yeah. as you'd imagine, both inside of Microsoft and customers I engage with, that conversation comes up a lot. So, you know, why did you leave? Why yeah. did you come back? Yeah. And, and the, the the way I kind of characterize it is really that idea that I just came home to a place that ultimately sits so close to my to my personal principles, mm -hmm. to my ethics. And, and enables me to be, and this kind of sounds weird, but to be a much more authentic human yeah. as I go and talk to customers. Yeah. You know, because I said to you earlier, that point about learning from a startup was learning about how people want to buy and how people want to engage with technology yeah. was such a big thing. And I've, you know, I realize now as I come back to Microsoft that you can only do that in an authentic way when you are in a place that you just feel so comfortable, so aligned and so uh, connected to the to the solutions that you sell. Yeah. And and totally um, agree with that um, amazing so let's talk about something that you're passionate about um, Lee okay. and that's and that's the uh, the positive impact of um, AI so artificial intelligence yep. on um, on society and humanity uh, humanity um, what is it that you see coming that that will put a positive spin to our lives in that space oh look yes yeah, hopefully your podcast goes for four days because I can tell you, <laughs> talk, talk to you a lot about that. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's something I'm really passionate about. And it was one of the key drivers that brought me back to Microsoft was that opportunity to take a leading voice for Microsoft in Australia mm. around how we want to go forward with AI because we have a very clear view about this, um, which I'll share with you. But look, for mm. me personally, that passion for, for AI and specifically the positive impact mm. you know and, and you know it's so easy and we see it a lot in our industry getting caught up in the rhetoric of the negativity of ai yeah. for me i'm you know I'm, as i get a little bit older and I'm, and your perspectives change uh, i've got children i've got two children nine and twelve and I, and I sort of force myself to have to see and contribute to a future that is both positive and has a sense of hope for them and that sounds very kind of melodramatic but the reality is ai is having and will continue to have this massive impact on the way we humans and technology interact. Mm. And if we don't do it in a way that is positive, mm. there's sort of a, it's, um, for me, there's an interesting 
perspective on this and it's kind of a bit funny but there was a film in 2005 i don't know if you saw it called tomorrowland it was a disney movie oh yeah um, and it was a disney movie kind of based on a ride based on an experience in the theme park but mm. i was sitting watching it with my kids at the time so, you know four years ago yeah. and it has this narrative of at the end of the day the future that you want to be is the future that you have to build you can't if we sit around and assume the future will be bad then there's a very good chance the future will be bad yeah. And so I kind of looked at that and said, well, look, you know, in this AI space, if we are continue to tell everybody that AI is going to take everyone's jobs and AI will destroy the fabric of society and we're all disappearing into our devices and there's no human, then, of course, that's exactly what will happen. Yep. So it's easy to get caught in that. And I thought to myself, well, OK, Microsoft has a very clear narrative on on what AI should be used for. And if you haven't seen it, kind of our, our broad mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And hidden in that narrative is this idea that what we mean by that is AI. We, need, we mean AI will empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And that's AI when it's used as a way to kind of amplify the human spirit and the human ability. Yep. And, and so we are, uh, as an organization, we've really structured ourselves around that Principle, and so one of my one of my roles, the hats I wear as the CTO here at Microsoft in Australia, mm. is also the head of our responsible AI uh, and ethics uh, board. Right. And so we we uh, we go through a very clear process of asking ourselves these very challenging and hard to answer questions around when we are faced with the opportunity to help a customer or the industry mm. or the market with AI, mm. are we doing the right thing? Yeah. Uh, you know, can <laughs> we can we justify our actions? To the next generation, mm. as a as a mm. sense of what will this what will this thing deliver? Yeah. So so to your point around what you know what what's the positive impact and what's the spins that I see, mm. I kind of see it in three areas. You've got AI, you know, as it accelerates in its capability and yep. it's and it reduces in its cost, and mm -hmm. there are some mechanics around why AI is this thing now mm. that's so so big. Mm -hmm. It's kind of giving us this opportunity, this potential, to create new tools and new experiences. Yeah. and new services that open up opportunity to all of society. And by that, I mean, we think about the accessibility of how do we help those with limited visibility, limited uh, capabilities, mm. physical or, or otherwise. Technology is kind of making those, those, those individuals more included. Yeah. And, and as you make more people able to contribute to the greater thought process of you know, ingenuity, innovation, you change the dynamics of what ingenuity and innovation looks like. We've already seen it that when we hire people who come to us from a diverse and different background, and you know, one of our one of our engineers here is uh, um, is has limited vision. He's very low vision. Yeah. So when we talk to him about how we build our solutions and think about that context, you just can't you can't just cover your eyes as a well-sighted person and go, oh, that's what it's like to be blind. Mm. You have to actually live that life to understand what accessibility means in that way. Yep. And then when you think about what AI can do now in terms of you know, cognitive AI services for, for speech and vision and, and, and so on, it just opens up a whole new world. So, so you've got that one aspect of it, that AI has the potential to bring more uh, skills and knowledge to the future that we're going to build on that AI world. Yeah. Then you've got this idea of AI. If it's and, and you know AI is accelerating because of this, the, the low cost economics of cloud and the proliferation of data. Pro, proliferation of data. Yeah. And those two things combined are giving us this ability now to think about how do we augment the human general AI. And that's kind of a mm -hmm. you know there's a there's two kind of worlds of AI as I'm sure you know Adam. There's the general AI that sort of the um, you know, that's the Skynet view. That's the 
you know, AI that really genuinely does think for itself, infer knowledge and, and, and take action versus the narrow AI where we're building these hugely complex data-driven services, mm. neural networks and so on, that are able to make very clear and defined decisions around a very specific set of you know, data points. Yeah. And so <clears throat> humans are very good at generally looking at the problem. Mm. Computers are very, very, very good at relentlessly and without bias, you know, depending on data sets, applying their efforts to a very singular problem in a very scalable way. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that idea where you've got, um, you know, AI helping people just optimize their time, optimize their ability to do the best things at the best time, more yep. optimally, you know, in healthcare um, and so on. And also, you know, in things like uh, mechanics, machinery and optimizing costs mm-hmm. of delivering services we all live in, yep. you yeah. know, electricity yeah. and services. So fantastic capability there. Yeah. And then you've got AI at a really, really, very practical level is where AI, which, you know, if it, in its simplest term, is just lots of data with a model applied to it to understand what that data means, to yep. infer knowledge, is enabling a whole bunch of professions and roles and jobs to just be more smarter mm. and more focused on their ability to help people. And, and by yep. that, you know, there's the kind of the very common one we hear, which is, you know, hey, if we give doctors the ability to use an AI model that can look at a thousand um, images of, of chest infections. You know, mm. we can start to learn a lot more about what a critical chest infection versus a non-critical one. Yeah. Look, there's a huge debate around whether that's the right way to do things, but certainly it's one way yeah. to do it. But, yeah. And that does help. Yeah. But I think it's more empowering, even more impactful AI is when you take all of that complex capability, you put all that into an app on a mobile device and you get it out to the third world or to those that don't have access to medical diagnosis. Yeah. And suddenly you're empowering entire part of the population to have access to things that you and I probably take for granted. Yeah. That's where AI kind of really just changes the world in a, yeah. in a, in a tangible way. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Totally agree. Amazing. And so I can just only imagine the debates you have in this, uh, <laughs> this committee you head up Lee and um, you know, about what's ethical and what isn't and, you know, oh, yeah. the implementations of the technologies and, you know, some of these are driving some big digital transformations across the world. Do, do you think we're having enough conversations around ethics? Like, is technology moving that fast that we can't keep up and, and just pause and have a think about some of those ethical uh, debates? <laughs> <laughs> Look, no, it's, it's a really excellent point. And, um, you know, it's, I sort of balance this in my head as being, you know, as I, as I get more contemplative, as you do, as you get older, you want more time to think about these yeah, things. Yeah. But also I, I'm, I'm living in and working in, as you do, in the, the modern world and the pace of change, yeah. not just in AI, but generally across technology. Anyone who's been in IT over the last 15 years will have just seen that we are just, the, the pace is so fast. Yep. It's so quick. It's almost impossible to keep up with it all. And you mm. do need, we need to take more time to just stop and consider mm. not asking the questions of whether we should or shouldn't, although that's often the question we are asking from yep. an ethical perspective, but just to take time to appreciate what we have yeah. and then move forward with it. Now, you know, I think there's a, that's a real challenge. And if I think about that from a kind of a customer perspective for, for a second, you know, when I talk to a lot of other CIOs, CTOs mm. and other organizations, mm. that's probably the number one ask of almost every <laughs> senior leader is, I just wish I had more time to, un- to, to kind of learn, <laughs> to <laughs> understand before yeah. I'm being asked to change. Yeah. Uh, so that's a challenge for us as a vendor and it's a challenge yeah. for the market in general. Yeah. But the short answer to your question around, you know, are we having enough conversations mm. is, 
Look, I think the answer is yes, okay. but it's not but it's not a one hit thing and it's not mm. and maybe we're having too much discussion now and not enough action perhaps yeah um, is is a bit of a challenge but yeah. so that you know if you if you you will look um, it's an interesting an interesting viewpoint is this whole conversation around ethics of ai so mm. and i can talk very clearly to the microsoft journey but i can also reference some of the external journeys mm. in it was 2016 and microsoft released uh, the manifesto for ethical computing for ethical AI, which was called The Future Computed, which was more of a book, uh, which you can download for free from our website, or you you can buy hard copies if you want from Amazon and other places. But it was a book that basically said, look, this is where we are today. This is where the future is going. If we look back on the last 20 years, this is what the next 20 years could look like. And there's all these things we need to consider. And it's all of the, when we think about the ethics, we think about the two big beasts that we need to always be conscious of is accountability and Mm -hmm. transparency. Yep. And, and these are good lessons for generally IT, but I think they apply more so in, in AI, which is, you know, accountability. We, we've had this constantly overhanging question of who is responsible for this system. When does the system take responsibility because it's making the decision? When does the business take responsibility because they release the product? When yeah. does the developer take responsibility because they built the product? Mm-hmm. When does the data take responsibility because it built the outcome? Yeah. You know, there's a whole question there about accountability. Yeah. And then transparency is, when accountability kicks in, can you explain it? Yeah. Can you really fully understand how the decision is made and what logic processes are followed? And that's a, that's a really, uh, it's an ongoing thing. And we know there are parts of that that are easy to explain and yeah. there are parts of it that are very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got yeah, those two absolutely. big beasts. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and they form the basis of, of that ethical conversation. Yeah. And then you've got all these pillars on top. You've got to think yeah. about uh, you know, risks, uh, security of the data, you know, who yeah. has access to the when. <clears throat> yeah. um, you've got to think about privacy and fairness. You've got to think mm. about inclusivity and all those yeah. things. Yeah. So we, we need to have those conversations. But the, important, the, the difference with AI and why I think AI is such a transformative piece as compared to, say, any other major shift in the, in the IT dynamics. You know, we talk about cloud was a major shift and mm. it was economically. It has yeah. changed things. Uh, IoT to a certain degree was going to be and kind of continues to bubble under, but mm. isn't really having the big transformational change. I think it's going to be an exponential change over time, yeah. IoT. But yeah. with AI, the point is you're building a system that's designed to change over time. It's designed yeah. to learn and behave differently as the yep. data changes. Yeah. So you kind of always have to have that checks and balances conversation happening to say, you know, just because we built it that way, how is it now applying that logic? We've got issues like data drift, data changes over time. Mm. You've got that blindness of historical data. We think historical data is good because it's the data of, the, of our history, but often it's really biased and really driven by the world we used to live in. Yeah, that's uh, true. Know, yeah, true. yeah, look, it's, data it's is a, history. <laughs> da, 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 well, look, and sometimes we, you know, it's that shining a light on yourself and are you really happy with what you see? And then often we have to be. We have to be brave enough, and this is a you know, broad call to, to IT, but also to generally anyone that is building a business based on data, which frankly is any company that's going to digital transformation is doing that. Yeah. You yeah. have to be brave enough to look back on yourself and your data and ask yourself the question, were we really collecting data that reflects the business we want to be and the yeah. outcomes we want to see in the future? Yeah. Um, and so that kind of is a, you know, that really leads to this bigger issue of, you know, it's, not, it's not just uh, the questions that we have, are we having enough conversation around ethics and principles and responsible processes? That's, m- that's more of a fundamental requirement for just any company that wants to digitally transform yep. and not just about AI. 
you need to kind of, you know, we, when we think about um, digital transformation here at Microsoft, we sort of bucket it up into these four pillars of, um, you know, empowering your employees, transforming your products, transforming your services, and, and, uh, and delighting your customers as being the four things that you really want to do mm-hmm. when you think about digital transformation. Mm-hmm. But the first pillar of that is empowering your employees. And if your own business isn't, <clears throat> isn't able to ask of itself, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? And what's the impact? And how do we make sure that everyone's included in this? And will we create a digital divide if we go down this path? Those questions, that culture of, of being able to ask, question, and learn is a kind of a cornerstone to yeah. transformation. And AI just amplifies that, that need more so than anything Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and just touching base, I know uh, we'll back on you. You mentioned security and uh, IoT and, and cloud transformation, and which you've got a, a background in. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight? Is there anything at Microsoft that you can share with our listeners that's sort of really exciting or coming up um, that may we may not know of just yet, or it's not out there um, as much um, in the public domain yet. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, look, well, yes, I'll try. I, I, obviously, I need to keep my job, so I'm not going to tell you anything that's going to get me fired. Uh, but look, the, the, and there is there's a heap of stuff, and yeah, I'll share you a couple of couple of bits and pieces. But yes. kind of the, the for us, there's an overarching principle which is we think about this concept of the intelligent cloud. So how do we put more intelligent inst- intelligence into the cloud so yes. our customers can get access to it? There's a word we use a lot, which is this concept of democratization. So we look at this idea of how do if we're going to build something as richly powerful as a neural network to to or a neural model to um, you know pull apart a, an image and determine what's really going on in that image, then we want to make sure that everybody can use it, not just the data scientists, not just those with a complex deep knowledge of of kind of um, you know ResNet fifty modeling processes. We want everybody to access it. So that that's a core thing. So we think about the intelligent cloud and then the intelligent edge. It's about taking all of those really powerful, rich services that we know are that we're developing through research, okay. applying a lens of responsibility and ethics to it, mm-hmm. and then making it available to everybody in a way that makes sense, either that as a SaaS model, as a platform service, or as a you know infrastructure compute kind of you know, use the raw tools. Yep. So that's the kind of underlying thing. But for me, the three areas that I'd probably want to share with people to have a think about going to look at what we're doing. Yeah. Um, these aren't necessarily secrets, but they're kind of a sense of where we're going. Yep. So we have three big visions for the future of computing, if you like, and yep. the future, future of where we think the world is moving to in terms of technology usage. So the first one is, is mixed reality. So right. that started with our journey in HoloLens a few years back okay. now, and now HoloLens 2, yep. you know, which is that kind of complete singular compute unit that you fit on your head and yes. provides that augmented VR. reality. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about mixed reality, the mixture of physical and, and virtual data points. Yep. So kind of everyone's familiar with HoloLens, and the direction we're taking there is mm. this idea of how do we enable safe working spaces? So how do we, how do we take people out of dirty, dangerous, uh, um, explosive, or whatever, mm working spaces and use virtual reality to make that happen or augmented mm. reality. Um, how do we make uh, access available to medical or other training services to people where a doctor can't get to? So, yeah. you know, we ship their, the HoloLens and then they can engage with a real person in a virtual yeah. augmented world. Mm. One of the areas that people may not know about is the work we're trying to do in the concept of holoportation, which is like one of those Star trek words that sounds amazing, <laughs> but this idea that how do we take the concept of HoloLens, which if anyone's kind of seen anything like that or even virtual reality, you know, what you're seeing in that experience is pre-built 
uh, pre-constructed content that is then played back to you in a, in a programmatic form. You know, you, yeah. you're engaged with a piece of software. Holoportation is this idea of how do we do that live across the world? So think about the concept wow. of somebody sitting here in, mm. in, uh, in Sydney mm. who is a deep expert in, um, you know, in a, in a particular area of mining mm. and then them communicating with somebody that's actually right now in a mine back in the Pilbara somewhere trying to fix a problem in real time, but they don't have the technical skills, but they have the engineering skills. Mm. How do they actually pop the HoloLens on and have that person live sitting next to them, mm. talking to them, showing them, and they're both seeing in real time the physical and virtual world together. So yeah. we have. So if you go to Microsoft Research <laughs> website, you'll find the Holoportation page, yeah. and you can see the work we're doing. And it seems like a cool idea. There's a lot of engineering required to make that just bandwidth network as well yeah, as compute to put that into, into a box. So that's one thing mm. I think is amazing. Great. In the AI space, that's our other big, big, big mm. focus. As you'd imagine, we've talked a lot about AI. Yeah. Um, I look at, I think the biggest news area there, and I would, one area I would watch for your listeners is mm. what we're going to be looking to do with open AI. So we, we mm. put a big investment, a billion dollar investment in open AI mm. as a company and open AI's mission is to make general AI. So that idea that AI that continues to build and iterate on top of itself yep. and is, and is learning a richer sense of the world. Mm. How do we make that real? Um, and the closest way you can look at that, um, you know, if anyone remembers Cortana, I know we live in a world of Alexa and Google yeah. and Siri, but Cortana was a technology we built to do that. And really what we've taken with Cortana is we've, we've moved it away from being kind of a front-facing device and, you know, not the Alexa yeah. Echo type experience, but Cortana is turning into that general intelligence that is able to connect the dots on, say, your day. So when you say to Cortana, hey, look, what does my day look like? Instead of Cortana saying to you, you know, you have a you uh, you have a meeting here and a meeting here and a meeting here. It doesn't. There's no context. Having Cortana say, "Well, looks like you've got a meeting here and a meeting here, but when I look at it, those two are quite far apart, and today's a bad day for the weather's raining, and so transportation might be hard to get. So, yeah. can I suggest you move this meeting to a to a Teams call or to an wow. online call? Yeah. That kind of general intelligence <clears throat> around that kind of thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's cool stuff. But the last one, which is absolutely my favorite, yeah. is quantum quantum computing. Quantum. So we are deeply invested in building a quantum computer, a topological quantum computer. You can go, guys, look that one up. It's a, and I, quantum <laughs> computing is a mind-blowing space of research. Yep. Uh, I'm actually going out to my quantum lab on Monday for the first time. I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah. Um, so quantum computing, this idea that we build a compute unit that is capable of quantum-level mechanics and quantum-level compute, which is essentially that idea that, that a bit state, so all of us who know from computing know that a bit is in one state or another. Yep. It's either off or on, on. zero yep. or one. Mm -hmm. Quantum is about being in multiple states at the same time. It is the concept that wow. a bit can be in so many states that we exponentially multiply the compute power that you can deliver. Yeah. Huge amounts of challenges. You've got to build these computers at a temperature that is colder than space and have wow. to build it on planet Earth, which is very hard to do. <laughs> and our, our vision there is not to just build a quantum computer and go, hey, look, we build a quantum computer. Our vision is to build a quantum computer that's accessible, democratized, in the cloud, accessible to all. Wow. And that's, mind, an, mind that's, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, gee, incredible, incredible stuff. Well, thank you very much for sharing uh, that, Lee. Really appreciate it. Now, no I'm sure our listeners will be... Uh, yeah, the eyebrows will be going up and going, <laughs> wow. That's, um, they'll, and they'll be looking those those uh, three things up. For sure. Now, um, now, we have a very serious segment here, Lee, called the okay. Goodsies Fast Four, where 
I asked four questions in, in 30 seconds. Are you ready oh, for damn. some hard-hitting questions? Yeah, let's go for it. Right, mate, let's do it. Um, number one, what is your go-to order at your favourite restaurant? Oh, kind of wish they had it here. I love Shake Shack in America. Oh. Cheeseburger. Give me the cheese. Give me the smokestack cheeseburger and curly, <laughs> curly fries every day. Love it. <laughs> Fantastic. And what do you wish you had known when you had started out in this role? Uh, I, what I, I wish I'd known just how hard it is to learn. Learning is really difficult. It's easy to go read something and, and, not, and kind of go, okay, I know, I know that. Yeah. Learning is hard. When I first joined, I was given a mentor of mine gave me this book, which was called How to Read a Book, written in 1972. Right. And it teaches you that you don't actually know how to read a book until you read it in this process. So learning. Yeah. I, I wish I'd learned more about how to learn. In my yeah. Time. Oh, interesting. Okay. And what's the number, question number three, what's something you've failed at? Oh, I've got too many things. I'm a failed guitar player. <laughs> I'm a failed French speaker. Lots and lots of failures. Failures are steps on the road to success. Yes. Um, totally but the, look, the big one that hangs over me almost every day, and I think I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to f- fix this one, is I'm just really bad at prioritizing my time. Yeah. Really bad at figuring out what's important and what's not. Everything feels important to me. I, I can I can just imagine. Yeah, well, yeah. I actually probably can't imagine your schedule and, and what <laughs> you need to prioritize. It's, it's crazy, but it's fun. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the last question, number four, what are you curious about right now? Uh, well, look, quantum quantum mechanics I'm really curious about. Uh, it's just yeah. such a hard thing to get my head around. I'd, I'd love to learn more. But the thing, the thing that really I read a lot of books on right now is the intersection of human psychology and technology. So this trying to learn more about really what does it mean to live in a world where technology is on a par with humanity is something I'm really fascinated with. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Goods All. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you, Lee, for joining me today. Pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Adam. Great. And join us again next week when we bring you another C-level technologist to The Goods All podcast and find out how they are making a difference to this world we live in. See you then.